This morning, we're going to do somewhat of a topical look in the book of Acts. And I want to start by asking you a question. When you hear the word friend, what comes to mind? What do you think? Some of you analytical will quickly say, well, they're different kinds of friends. And boy, you're right. They're acquaintances that may be your friend on Facebook, but not every Facebook friend is equal. Some that you've met along the way, some that are friends of your friends. And now with that tool, you call them friend. Some that are close, but not all friends are that kind of friend. I decided yesterday, and that's why I'm looking down, I decided to do a very unscientific survey on Facebook. Some of you may have seen it. If you're not my friend, if you make the request, come on, I'll be your friend, okay? I, I don't usually go trolling and searching. We made a commitment early in our ministry. We're not going to ask anybody to be our friend because then somebody's going to say, did he ask you to be his friend? And, you know, pastor, get in trouble because of who he asked and who he didn't. So yeah, I, I try not to make that my initiation, but I'd love to be your friend, okay? So I, I put this out on Facebook yesterday, and this is the exact word. You, if you want to look it up, not now, please, uh, but if you want to look it up, it went like this. I'm speaking on friendship tomorrow. Study is done. I need some help on the introduction and application. When you hear the word friend, what quality comes to mind? And then I'll put a parenthesis, if you'd rather not write it here, message me. And it was kind of fun to see. I had about 75 responses on the Facebook site combined with some direct messaging. And uh, I'm not going to read all 75 to you, but there's a theme, okay? Loyal, empathetic, forgiving, walking in when others are walking out. A friend is someone who is close as family, not, not the same genes necessarily. Someone who can tell you what you need to hear, good and not so good, with your best interests in mind. Someone who you enjoy being with long periods of time. You're comfortable with a friend and you can just be yourself. A friend is an encourager. With a friend, you become a better person. Trust, honesty, patience, transparency, faithfulness. Someone who is for me and not against me. I thought of that song we were going to be singing this morning. But in, in a friendship arena, somebody that you trust is your ally. And though they're, you don't trust that they're going somewhere else and talking about you behind your back. They're a place of comfort, a place of security. And even as time passes, you know you can count on them. A friend is someone who says they will pray for you. And they really do. A friend keeps confidence. A friend is refreshing. A friend is reliable, accepting, and forgiving. And I'm not going to call any names, but someone here today wrote, when you're having the worst day possible, a friend can manage to put a smile on your face. A real friend listens to your drama. A real friend must be loyal and authentic and be as crazy as I am. Okay. If you want to try to figure out who wrote that, you can, you can ask her when this, I mean, you can ask that person when, it, when it's over, all right? You know, sometimes we wish our Bibles were like, 
a Wikipedia or a Google search, you know, and you could just say, okay, I'm going to go to the Bible and I'm going to take out the volume with F in it and look up the word friend and read everything the Bible says about friend. And you know, I, I guess most of you are smart enough to know you can go to your smart device and you can say, what does the Bible say about friend or friendship? Now, can I warn you that not every source who collects those things will necessarily be trustworthy, all right? They're not all your friends. But if you start looking at the scripture and you start trying to say, what does it say about friends? I, I started putting myself in your position listening to this introduction. And I thought, so what is a person going to be thinking when I'm going over those qualities? Some of you are going to say, I don't really have a friend. I mean, right now, this season in my life, I don't have anybody like that. Some of you are going to immediately think of who you might call first. And you think, I'm so thankful to God that I have this friend. And some of you, as you're starting to feel a little sorry for yourself, I'm going to challenge you this morning before this is over. Why don't you just decide that you're going to be that friend? In the book of Acts, there are essentially two kind of main characters. Peter and Saul, who became Paul. When we think about those and we watch how the movement that we've been looking at in the book of Acts moves through those, do we take the time to notice the little people, the people who worked in their lives to help them become the public person because of what they did in private. This morning, we're going to talk about one of those guys. He's one of my favorites. I, I'd love for him to be one of your favorites. His name is Barnabas. And we're not going to try to let me be some philosopher who gives you everything possible to know about friendship. We're just going to do a little character study for a moment. And we're going to watch Barnabas and what he does as Paul's friend. And let the Spirit of God do what he does. Take the Word of God and hold it up to us and call something out of our lives. Or we find ourselves begging, Lord, put that in my life. So would you pray with me now? Father, we open your word with great reverence. We take it for what it is, the very word of God. We know that you've inspired it. You've protected it. You've given it to us for a moment like this. And so, Lord, as we open it together today, we pray now that you would be our teacher. Spirit of God, take the word of God. Call out things in our lives that need to be laid before you as an offering. Call out things that need to be repented of and removed from our lives and fan the flame of your spirit for those of us who know you and have an indwelling knowledge of your presence that you, Holy Spirit, would let this idea and story of 
Barnabas' friendship. Let it stir up something within us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning as we were setting up the table here, I told Johnny, I don't know whether I want to use this Bible or if I want to use this Bible or if I want to use this little journal. So I'm probably going to be confused jumping back and forth between them, but you pick whatever you have, all right? You either take your journal or your Bible and join me in Acts chapter 9. If you weren't here last week, we talked about the testimony of Saul and his encounter with Jesus. We saw how Jesus confronted him. We saw how a man named Ananias went to him. We saw how he prayed for him to receive his sight again after that Damascus Road experience. He was on his way to Damascus when Jesus encountered him. Some of you have heard that phrase and you've never known where it came from. That's what it was. He was on the way to the city of Damascus and he met Jesus and Jesus started working inside of him. The Bible says in Acts chapter 9 that he rose in verse 18, moving into 19. He rose and was baptized and taking food. He was strengthened. We're talking about Saul. For some days, verse 19 says, he was with the disciples in Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. One writer pointed out that that phrase was not always talked about here in the book of Acts, that he is the son of God, but it was very prominent in Paul's writings as he talked about Jesus as the unique, only begotten son of God, the father, the son, the Holy Spirit. Saul went and started telling people he had met Jesus. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Isn't this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who call upon his name? And didn't he come here for the very purpose to find them who were following Christ and bound them before the chief priests? So they were suspect that Saul had really been changed, and you would have been too. But Saul increased all the more in his strength, and he confounded the Jews, and he lived in Damascus, who lived in Damascus, proving that Jesus was the Christ. Then verse 23 says, when many days passed. Can we just stop right there for a minute? Some of you are really good Bible students, and you're going to go read the book of Galatians when Paul is recounting his testimony, and you're going to realize that Dr. Luke, when he was writing the book of Acts, didn't tell us every detail of every point, didn't put a timeline before us, and I just want you, in case you want to go back later and insert it, that there were more than just days, that's just his way of transitioning, there were a few years that passed because Saul said he went to the desert and he went alone and he was trained by Jesus, okay? But now we come back in verse 23. When many days had passed, the Jews blotted to kill him. He came back to Damascus and their plot became known to Saul. And they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall. And they let Paul slip out of the very city where he'd come just a few years earlier to take the people and kill them for following Jesus. Now he sneaks out with Christ followers helping him leave all that setting up turning the page if you have your journal 
to page 56. At the top it says, And when he came to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him, for they did not believe he was a disciple. Do you have a picture? Saul had been transformed, meeting Jesus. He had taken some time and become a true follower of Jesus, being able to express it in his faith. He'd become, because of all of his Old Testament knowledge, now understanding who Jesus is. So he made his way to Jerusalem for the first time, and they said, uh-uh, we remember you. You were the guy that was against all that we're doing. Verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he, being Paul, Saul is what he's being called now, he went in and out among them at Jerusalem boldly preaching in the name of the Lord. So let's stop right there. That's the beginning of seeing Barnabas as he is a friend to Saul. So let's, let's take a few notes, all right? I'm going to list a few things for you that are qualities we see in Barnabas' friendship. Here's the first one. A friend believes in you. Who believes in you? You know, when I give my testimony of coming to know Christ, I usually talk about two men that believed in me. One was a football coach. He believed in me. Didn't have to, but he did. In the old days, we watched films of football on a 16 millimeter, I guess it was, a big, a big reel where we had to hook up the, the films to watch it. We couldn't, you know, stop it and run it back like that. And the football coach would invite me to come to his house on Sunday night. And I would usually eat something quick with he and his wife and two kids. His wife would go away to put the kids to bed and the football coach and I would start watching films we would start watching films of the people we were going to play next week. And I don't know why my mother let me stay there so long, but she did. I stayed up really late watching films with him, but it was a whole lot more than watching football films. This guy believed in me. He encouraged me that God was working in my life. He himself as a leader in the church, he's still alive today. And telling the story makes me realize I probably need to go home and, and find a way to encourage him and thank him for being that friend. The youth pastor believed in me. Has anyone ever been that kind of friend to you? Have you ever been that kind of friend to anyone else? Barnabas, when they wouldn't let Paul into the circle, the scripture says that he took him and brought him to the disciples. So I'm going to list the second quality. They don't just believe in you. They take you where you need to go. Go read the book of Proverbs and you'll see that you'll have some friends that will take you where you don't need to go. <laughs> and you need to identify who they are. And you need to say, do I really want to hang out with this person? Or are they going to take me where I need to go? Or are they going to take me where I don't need to go? 
Barnabas believed in Saul and he took him. And the third quality is he stood with him. He didn't have to, but he did. And oh, that the Spirit of God would help us today to want to emulate this great leader. You know, the writer of the book of Hebrews said, take real care to watch the leaders and see if you can build in your life what you see in their lives. So why don't we take real care this morning to watch a guy named Barnabas, who that was his nickname, really, the son of encouragement, because he did it so well. He believed in Saul. He took him where he ought to be. And he stood with him. The scripture goes on to describe some things that happened there in Acts chapter 9. It says that Saul made some more people mad. <laughs> he, he started preaching Jesus in the same place where Stephen had been proclaiming Christ and gotten killed for it. And it says that he went in and out of Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Verse 29, he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists because they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. The guy who'd gone into the city, he left the city to kill. He'd gone into the city to kill. He'd been transformed from a terrorist to a true follower of Christ. And now he comes back to the place that had sent him, and he has to slip out of that city too. They took him and sent him off to Tarsus. You do remember, don't you, that that's where Saul was from? So he went to Caesarea. I used to have a guy say to me, why don't, why don't you call it what it is, Caesarea? And I said, that doesn't sound right. He said, who was it named for? I said, Caesar. He said, all right, why don't you pronounce it correctly? So I've always called it Caesarea. Caesarea sounds weird, but you get the point, right? It was a port, and they put Saul probably on a boat to send him back across the corner of the Med to Tarsus. The church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria was being at peace and was being built up, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now notice verse 32 of Acts chapter 9, now as Peter. So here's what I want to ask you to do for me. Would you be willing to let us take out of sequence what went on with Paul because we're trying to find the theme so the rest of chapter 9 is Peter. The rest of chapter 10, it's Peter. And when you're moving on to chapter 11, what are you finding? You're finding, as he continues to work, that Peter had been doing all of these things. And as you move through chapter 11, finally you come to verse 19. If you're using the journal, it's on page 66. We move from the story of Paul to we, we start seeing how God is moving the church through Peter. But now we come, to verse, we come to verse 19 in chapter 11. Those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen... Remember that? See how, the, see how the thread's going through Acts? Those that were there and were persecuted after Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia. Boy, that just stirs up something in me. I've had children live in Lebanon. And if you go to Lebanon today and you talk to any of the people who live there, 
many of them will tell you, oh, we're not really Lebanese, we're Phoenicians. And you say, really, you're living, oh, I mean, we're Lebanese, but we're Phoenicians. Because when I read that, I'm thinking of the coastal people there in the Middle East from Phoenicia and Cyprus. You know where that is, the little island. And then, and then Antioch there on the coast. They were speaking to no one except the Jews. And the scripture says that some of the men from Cyprus and Cyrene coming into Antioch were preaching the Lord Jesus and the Lord had his hand on them and a great number believed and were turned and the report came to the ears of Jerusalem and they did what verse 22 they sent Barnabas to Antioch so make sure you got the scene it's almost like you're watching a complicated drama and you just you change scenes and you dealt with Peter a while now you come back and you realize God's been working all this time up in Tarsus where Paul went and over on the coast where they had shared the gospel there people were coming to Christ and so Barnabas was sent to Antioch man I love this description of Barnabas in verse 23 you could just read it and pass right over it but it says he came and he saw the grace of God and he was glad. Hmm. Wow. I just, I just want to sit there for a minute. I like this guy so much. Barnabas came and he saw how God was working in the church. He said, this is good. I'm, I'm just so glad to see how God's working in their lives how the grace of God is working. He told them to remain faithful to the Lord and steadfast in purpose. Look at how verse 24 describes him. He was a good man. <laughs> they didn't have to throw that in there, but he was a good man. Barnabas was the trustworthy guy. When they got ready to send some money somewhere, they, they sent Barnabas to go with them. When they got ready to have somebody go and encourage somebody, they sent Barnabas to go. The church trusted him, and he was willing to let the church help give direction to him. A great many people were added to the Lord, but look at verse 25. Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. I just feel like we've got to write that down as what a good friend does. A good friend believes in you. A good friend takes you where you need to be. A good friend stands with you. Number four, a good friend comes after you. You know, there are times we just need to be a friend and we just need to go get somebody. Maybe we need to go get them to get them out of the pig pen because they've They've gone to the end of their wits and they, they've turned from God and they've rebelled. And this morning, maybe that's part of what God's going to do in this sermon is make some of you realize you've got a friend that's gone away and maybe God's stirring in you to tell you, you know, you ought to go get them and see what you can do to help them come back to Christ. But Saul had not journeyed away from Christ. There's no indication he was in sin. Some have tried to fill in the blanks of who he won to Christ and what he did when he was up in Tarsus. I don't really know yet. I hadn't quite figured that out. But I have figured this out. When Barnabas came to Antioch, he saw so many believers there. He said, they need some more leaders. And so we need to make room for some other people that will step into this gap and help lead. Why don't I go get Saul and bring him down here 
and let him help lead this church. So that's what he did. Verse 25 says, he went to Tarsus, he looked for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people in Antioch, and the disciples there were first called Christians. You know, I kept debating as I kept looking at this text going, there's so many little things we could chase, and I want to stay on the topic of friendship, but can I, can I get you to see that maybe and come back and think about that later? It was at Antioch when they were first called Christians, You know, it wasn't necessarily a positive term. Need I tell you that today, well, you can figure that out, all right? In this day, to call them little Christ, little Christ followers, it's like calling your, your son little Johnny, you know, calling your daughter little Mary because she takes after mother. They were called Christians there. But I'm sure the disciples wore the term with honor because they were glad to be Christ followers. So a good friend stands with you, and when they need to, they come after you and say, hey, look, God can use you here. Now what happens? At the end of chapter 11, the disciples determined that they needed to send relief to the brothers in Judea and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. A good friend not only comes after you, a good friend goes with you. I hope you've got a friend that when it comes time for you to take a journey, they can go with you. They can be there to strengthen you so you won't have to do it alone. They can walk with you through trouble. Do you have that kind of friend? Are you that kind of friend? Barnabas went with him. And you'll notice an interesting twist as you read the book of Acts over these next few months. For a while there, it was Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul. And then it flips. And it becomes Paul and Barnabas. But Barnabas wasn't jealous of that. He was glad to watch the gift of God in someone else flourish because that's the kind of guy he was. Do you have a kind of friend who always wants to eclipse you a little bit because they get a little jealous of what's going on in your life? That's not a, that's not a good friend. A good friend wants the best for you and a good friend goes with you and calls that out of you. But as you follow the thread of Barnabas, I've got to have you skip forward past the first missionary journey and watch what happens as they go together. And now we come to the second missionary journey in Acts chapter 15. And in Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas had already been around planting churches, and now they're getting ready to go back again. And in Acts chapter 15, the scripture says that they wanted to go and see the churches where they had started. And as they started to leave, I'm in chapter 15, verse 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, 
Let's return and visit the brothers in every city where we claim the word and see how they're doing. Now, Barnabas wanted to take John, call Mark, but Paul thought it not best since he had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and not gone with them to the work. So a sharp disagreement happened, and they were separated. Barnabas took Mark with him one direction, and Paul chose Silas and went another direction. Now let me make sure you get the scene. On the first missionary journey, John Mark, who later went by Mark, who later wrote a gospel. You following me? All right. John Mark had been with them, and nobody tells us exactly what happened, but some had said he sat down one night and said, I miss my mama's biscuits. This is just weird food. And everywhere we go, the people are different from me, and I just just don't know. I don't know what made him wimp out, but he went home, and now they're getting ready to go back on the second missionary journey, and Barnabas says, let's take John Mark with us. Paul said, are you kidding me? I mean, I'm, I'm reading between the lines here. Sharp disagreement happened, all right? He said, are you kidding me? That young guy wouldn't stick it out with us. Why would I want to put up with him again? Barnabas said, come on, man. He's my cousin. <laughs> you find that out later. Uh, he's my cousin, and I think he's a good kid. I think we ought to believe in him and let him go. Paul said, nope, not with me. He's not going. Now, was Paul being childish? I don't know. We can sit here and debate all morning whether, whether we really think it was a good decision and if, who was in sin, Paul or in Barnabas. I, I think we probably ought to just come to a healthy disagreement here and realize and the things that are not essential, sometimes you can say, well, I'm going to go over here. And you say, great, I'm going to go over here. And God uses that to multiply his work. Now we had two different missionary teams going out, not just one, right? So it was a good thing. But what does it tell us about true friends? True friends don't just go with you. True friends stand up to you. I really had fun reading those 75 or so responses. And some people, you could just tell, oh, a good friend, man, they just, they just listen to you. And, you know, they just tell you everything's okay. And uh, there's a time for that. There's a time for a friend just to keep their mouth shut and just be there with you. But there's a time when a fruit, true friend has to say, I love you and and you're wrong. That's that's not going to work well. I I need to tell you that's not what you should do because I love you. I see that quality in Barnabas. Kind of why I like the guy so much. I need people that will tell me the truth and then here's the last one. Still love me. A true friend doesn't just tell you off and say, yep, and I remember that about five years ago. And I was right then and I'm right now. Come on. You don't see that in Barnabas. And I don't think it's true today. A true friend stands up to you, but they're always willing to still love you. So let's let those seven just Hover for a moment. Calling out of you. 
What kind of friends do you need to be and what kind of friend do you need in your life? Someone who believes in you, someone who will take you where you need to be, who will stand with you, who will come after you when they need to. They'll go with you when they should. They'll stand up to you if they need to disagree and they'll still love you and they will endure. That's just my version of what I read in Barnabas' life. So what about the next step in your life? How would you apply this to some friend? I read one guy who tried to summarize Barnabas this way. He said, number one, he practically was willing to help. Do you remember when we first met him back in the book of Acts? He sold his land and he gave it. So financial gift. He was willing to practically get involved. Maybe some of you this morning, and it may not. I just put that up there because that's, that was the example of Barnabas. Uh, it's not really about your money, which, by the way, it's not really your money anyway. You know that, right? Everything's his, and you're just a steward. And as the old preacher said, God would love to give it to you if he could get it through you. All right? So, I mean, it, you're just a steward of what God's given you, and you're going to give an account of what you do with your stuff. But I'm not talking about, that's why I went ahead and put a parenthesis after it. I'm not just talking about your money. Maybe this morning God's telling you of a practical thing you need to do to come alongside a friend and help them. Second, in summarizing his life, fellowship. He had a ministry of presence. Have you ever heard that term? Boy, I remember it in this little church we pastored when we started up in Northern Virginia. We had a guy leading the, the music. He and his wife, she became pregnant. The whole church got excited about the baby. The baby was born, and it was like the church mascot. Everybody was thrilled. And then a few months in on a Sunday night, during a Sunday night football game, I got a call, and Joe said to me, he's dead. I said, who? His little infant son had died of sudden infant death syndrome. I took off to the hospital. I stood with him in the emergency room. Our tears dripped on his little lifeless body. I've never experienced heartache quite like that and never known what to say. And that little church family had never experienced any loss of any kind. And some of them came to me and said, Pastor, what in the world do we do? If we go over there, we don't know what to say. I said, you don't have to say anything. If you'll go and you'll hug them and you'll cry with them, you'll do what God wants you to do. This morning, there may be somebody you know in great heartache and they don't need you to say a thing. They just need you to be there. Barnabas was that kind of guy. But here's the third summary of his life. He knew how to take people, and this guy who wrote it had to make them all start with an F so you could remember them. <laughs> but the failure is not just the point. The problem, Barnabas knew how to restore. I thought of so many different ways to preach this sermon. I'm looking at the clock, and I should have been through five minutes ago. All right, so come on. Stay with me. I'm almost there. I thought about listing all the qualities of Barnabas' life, and then I thought about how to apply those to our life. Let me just give you one verse that's what it says about Barnabas. For Barnabas, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Scripture says. It says he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. When it's describing him, that's the things that they say about him. 
And I thought this morning, seeing all those things in Barnabas' friendship, if Barnabas could come this morning, we could sit him down and start interviewing him, he would say, why are you guys making such a big deal out of me? Don't you realize that everything I did was just Jesus living in me? Don't make me out to be some kind of special guy. I was just trying to walk in the Spirit. And I was trying to do what Jesus would have me do. And it made me think of a little quote I saw this week on the internet. It was talking about pastors. And it said, pastors, be sure that you don't photobomb Jesus. I thought, wow. What, what does that mean? Somebody's taking a picture. They've got it all framed just right, and you step in and go, you know, and you weren't supposed to be in the picture, but you crashed the picture, sliding yourself in the middle of it. I think if Barnabas were here today, he'd say, hey, don't photobomb Jesus don't look at me. Look at what happened when Jesus was living through me. For the Bible says, greater love has no man than to lay down his life for a friend. Your friend today is Jesus who will never leave you, who will never forsake you, who came and died in your place and wants to live through you to make you the kind of person he is as he lives his life through you. Our grandkids are at the house. They put together a little puzzle with KK. I walked in, they were taking a picture of the puzzle to show that they got it all done. And so they told KK, put your hands right here, Nani. And then the other one put their hands right there the one taking the picture was trying to put her hand right there. I walked by just as they were snapping the picture, and I put my hand in there. I said, wait, wait, wait. I just messed up your picture. This morning, don't mess up the picture. It's not about Barnabas. It's about Jesus and how he lives that kind of friendship to you, and through you. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you today that we have a friend in Jesus. We thank you that he is the one that will never leave us and never forsake us. And we thank you today as we've worshiped the one who is worthy, that you can speak to us from your word about what ought to be present in our life as true Christ followers. So today, if we're going to be called a follower of Christ, May your spirit have his free work in us and may you live through us any way that you need to and we'll give you credit for what you do in Jesus' name.